Kate, welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk, and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing is as usual. We have not taken a walk. We're trying to make a podcast. Um, We're using new Zoom technology, which may or may not cut us off before we're done talking, but um, but we're going to try. So... Yeah, and and my computer doesn't have a camera, and Yolanda's does, so I can look at him, and he can't see me, and I am totally loving creepy. It. Totally <laughs> I'm creepy. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Um, so Hinton, is anything astonishing you lately? Yeah, there's been some reports on the news about um, a virus or something. I don't know if yeah. you talk about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's got me at home, doing everything online, talking to my friends online, um, um, adjusting the life of the church to online. And uh, this has really been quite a disruption for our small church. I mean, we have less than 100 people and we're accustomed to being together and seeing one another and hugging each other. And, um, you know, when this first... um, Yes, yeah, so we should say wait, to clarify for everybody. We record our podcasts usually on Tuesday, so today it's Thursday. So, right. and then we record on Tuesday, and then Yolanda does all the hard work of editing it, yeah. and he posts it on Friday. So, when you heard us on Friday, you were hearing us on Tuesday. So, we weren't—I don't think—really talking about the coronavirus at all at that point. Um, like in real time, by Friday, the Grove had decided to move to online streaming for Sunday, but what did Derida do? We met last Sunday. Okay. And uh, to my surprise, we had quite a crowd. Yeah. Uh, we ordained uh, new elders. And so when it came to the laying on of hands, everyone who came up, uh, I gave them a squirt of hand sanitizer before we uh, prayed together. And uh, it was it was a really good time of worship. And even then, I was operating under the assumption that this disruption would last maybe two weeks. And I left that service with this feeling in my gut that this might, this might um, last longer than I thought. And now I'm hearing through May into June, maybe even beyond that. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, hopefully we can talk about this. Like you, I mean, it was difficult for your church to make the call about um, gathering or doing live stream. Like my, my memory is because we were talking IRL and you were sort of in favor of doing an online platform and your elders really wanted to meet in person. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that was a tough place to be in as the pastor. And it's the, the thing about our Presbyterian polity is that depending on the culture of local churches, um, you know, in some places as the pastor, you can have a strong sense that this is what's right to do. And if the session says, nope, then, then that's just the way it is. So I, I, I think that's really, that's just really hard. I really know, I mean, I just feel like everyone should know that you personally really felt like the wisest thing to do would be 
to meet virtually and your elders you didn't and so yeah and you know what's challenging for us is that um we do not have any kind of streaming um service um and we're working on putting that together and so this crisis has really been an opportunity for us to step up our digital presence our online presence and so i'm grateful for that but it's 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 a real disruption and um i mean not to mention the the pastoral care um it's through the roof for you know people's anxieties and fears and you know we have a population of of church family that's you know well over 65 i mean that's yeah. the majority of our folks yeah. And so yeah yeah I mean, I do think that that's what's interesting is like, for me, my, my kids, my three kids are home. Um, and so I'm trying to be present to them and I'm trying to figure out a way to um, use the resources we have to pull together a daily schedule that makes some kind of sense. Um, trying to cut myself some slack about the fact that I haven't figured out how to like halfway homeschool my kids in less than 24 hours and oh, trying to be, you know, people in my congregation. And I, I mean, I really, I've said a million times, um, I just, the Grove is my dream church and I really just love the people. Um, I love the people that I get to be church with and, um, really the paradigm is friendship. And so, you know, I feel, um, you know, really blessed to be able to spend time talking to so many of my friends and offering pastoral care. Um, and it's really interesting because I'm, I'm doing work and it, and so much of it is invisible. <laughs> so if you're, you know, responding to um, phone calls and texts, which is just so appropriate, so glad to do it. It's so right for people to reach out and I don't want anyone to feel like they shouldn't reach out. Um, but I also have this level of anxiety that like, there's not a lot of whole church visible adjustments being made yet because it's just, um, it's a fire hose right now of, um, information gathering and trying to respond and trying to, um, listen and be present and care for people who are just handling so much and handling it so beautifully. Um, yes. But it's just really, um, and I, we did a live stream platform and we, we have done, been live streaming our service for quite some time through Facebook, um, which has been a real gift. And we've really done it always for two reasons. And we haven't worried about it having a really high production value at all, but we've been doing it because A, people in our congregation, if they're out for an extended period of time, like they're recovering from surgery or they have a family member that they're caring for. And so they're staying home to worship with them. It's really, even though the production value isn't high, um, it's been really helpful for them to feel connected, to see people's faces. Um, and then also we just know when people begin searching for a church, um, especially because we are um, we are a multi-ethnic community and we're communicating that to the world. Like I know before people walk in the door in real life, they want to look and say like, okay, when you say <laughs> this is a diverse church, like what does that really mean? Like, what can we tell in terms of who's sitting in the pews and who's leading on the platform? So, so we already had this, um, habit of live streaming services that we were able to just kind of adjust, um, 
adjust the spacing of it. But uh, I know that it's difficult if churches haven't done that at all. And I feel for churches who haven't because so much of the pressure we get from the larger culture is that like, if you're going to do it, it needs to be perfect. Like it needs to be polished and it needs to be at the same level as things that you would see at a church with a, with a staff that does this all the time or what you would see on like local TV. And I think, um, people have felt like they couldn't get started until they could be great. And, um, I'm grateful that, you know, some, some wisdom from within the community is we don't, we need it to be real. And we're not ashamed to say, Hey, we're trying to do this so that people can get a glimpse of it. Um, so, I mean, that was really helpful, but what was interesting is, um, so I was at the church. My family was at home, um, my husband and kids. And, um, when they turned on the computer to live stream, my littlest one, my three-year-old, um, she lost it. Like she was so upset to see the church sanctuary, to see me, to see some of the members of our music team. And she, and Colin said that she dragged a chair over to the coat rack and got her coat down and then went to the door and was like screaming and crying. And it was interesting. I was talking to another friend, um, who has a little one who's about the same age. And she said the same thing that when he saw, you know, when he saw the building and some people, um, on the screen that it was just really, um, unsettling and traumatic and weird for him. And, and I've heard from older people in the congregation that, I mean, and by older, I mean, older than three, that it just, um, it was, I mean, it was good. It was really good and really meant something to them, but also just, you know, it brought them to tears to know that like during the passing of the peace, um, that they couldn't hug people and just to think how much they really, um, missed, missed that. So I don't know, there's just, I I don't quite know what label to put on that. Um, it's both really beautiful and really hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we have to do it. Um, because even if, it's imperfect and unpolished. It's real. And, um, people need points of connection. I mean, always, but now more than ever. So, um, yeah, it's, it's the whole thing, just everything is astonishing me right now. Yeah. Our main concern is for connection. We don't want people to lose a sense of being church and being family. And, um, we're at a place where we we can't think about high production value. We just right. don't have it, and so you know, uh, connection and staying together is is the top priority. Well, and I think the reassuring thing is, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, that um, a friend and I went and um, were at a conference, a local conference at um, Mecklenburg Community Church a couple months ago, and they were talking about the need to do um, you know online online church because that's how unchurched people start searching. That's where they feel safe is not walking into a strange community, but going online first. Um, so they know what to expect. And the, um, the leader of this conference was saying, Hey, here's the good news. If you go look on YouTube, the videos that have the most hits are not the ones done by production companies. It's not the ones done by professional editors. I mean, people want to see in this landscape, what they want to see is reality. And so it's very kind of low production value videos that go viral and catch on fire. And so he was just really encouraging us to not 
be afraid or ashamed of the bumps and the glitches and the hiccups because what those bear witness to is the fact that this is a real community. This is not a show about a church. This is a church. And um, so I think that's really encouraging news for anybody who, like ready or not, has to jump into this world is the good news is there's there's no need to be ashamed of the learning curve. Um, That's so funny because I have been, you know, I've been watching these um, uh, survivor videos. Um, yes, I know, man. <laughs> I've been, I've been <laughs> two in particular, uh, two former players. Uh, first, uh, Rich Hatch, who was the first winner, and then uh, Russell Hance, who was kind of a, a villain when he played several times. And it's very interesting because um, um, Richard Hatch has a very polished production and I thought, oh, I'm I'm really gonna like this one uh, better. And and Russell Hance, he's in his backyard. He's knocking over things. The the cat is meowing in the background. Um, he drops, uh, you know, he's drinking a soda. He drops it or kicks it over, and he says, you know what? I could edit this out, but I'm not going to. And I find myself watching his more. I'm like, right. Oh. Yeah. I think what's drawn to it and like when some of my favorite authors and speakers post videos and it's just, it's real and you just feel like, oh, this person is, is being vulnerable with me yeah. and that feels like a gift and that feels like a chance to, to just have a more authentic connection. And so, I mean, we all understand, I mean, we're not idiots. We all understand that it's not the real, real, but I, mm-hmm. but I mean, but it matters. Like it just, you see you feel a deeper connection than, than if it's all polished. So I news to um, pastors and church members who are trying to figure out how to be the church in this extraordinary age is to say like, don't, don't wait till it's perfect. Don't, don't be afraid to evolve in real time as people are watching. Um, Don't be afraid to communicate to yourselves and to anyone who might be searching and stumble across you that like, we don't know what we're doing. We weren't prepared for this. We don't have some kind of secret holy book with a script and all the answers. Like we are walking and trying to be faithful and, and leaning on the Lord and figuring it out. And um, that's what we're inviting people into. And I think that's what, um, it's just this huge, I do feel like um, as much as I have moments when I kind of spiral out into anxiety, when I'm, when I'm centered and really, um, you know, in and I think in a healthy and connected place um, to what is most deeply true in my life, I do feel like, um, you know, this is a moment um, where it's a huge privilege to be the church, to be able to yes. um, say to people, we don't, you know, we're not better and we're not like preserved or saved. We're not bulletproof. We're not saved from suffering in this, but we do have something that gives us strength and gives us hope and gives us joy, even in these times. And we're not hoarding it. We're sharing it. And, um, I do think sometimes, you know, there's a, um, there's a real misuse of one of Jesus's parables about the wise man builds his house on the rock and the foolish man builds his house on the sand. And the parable goes that, you know, when the storm comes, the person whose um, house is built on the sand, it collapses, but the person whose house is built on the rock, you know, it stands firm and that's great. And we, we teach that parable um, as we should, we teach it to church members to say like, Hey, um, there, there's don't, don't neglect 
your life with God um, when things are good because, um, you know, it's hard to build your faith when a storm comes. And and that's, I mean, still, um, but I would never, I think sometimes people in a moment when they're suffering and they're, they're needing something more, can, people can get the impression from the church that, well, it's too late for you. Like, like, um, you know, go put six months in and then you can turn to God and ask for help the next time you're in trouble. And, you know, that might be how the, uh, how health insurance works in the world, but it's not how Jesus works. And I, I think we need to be really clear, um, that we're, we're not fronting and we're not pretending that we have all the answers and we're not pretending that we're not afraid. Um, but we are, um, walking and trusting the Lord and, you know, the doors of the church and the doors of this community are open right now. And now is a good time to connect and you don't need to feel embarrassed or ashamed about saying, you know, I'm freaked out and I'm looking for help. I mean, great. Yeah. People come to Jesus in desperation all the time in the gospel and Jesus receives them. And so, um, this is just a great time to, um, ask the Lord to use us to connect ourselves more deeply to the Lord and also to be connectors for people who um, feel like they're on the outside looking in. So, I, Yeah, both of those are just extremely important um, because this is really a time for us to focus on our own walk with the Lord as well as helping others. And I just think in every age, the church gets an opportunity to be a beacon of help and hope. And um, this is a time for us to um, join our brothers and sisters, our, our family throughout the ages in, in being the body of Christ in the world. And so, you know, I find myself being both um, disoriented and uh, very hopeful. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a hard time, but a hopeful time. I'm again, I'm, I'm really grateful for an opportunity to do some new things I have to do. We have to do some yeah. new things in order to be faithful in these times. And I do think it's important to realize um, that, you know, the church is, there's a deep, there's a deepness to the wisdom of the church. And so, you know, some of, um, some of our church members, and certainly, I mean, personally, as a pastor, I have never experienced anything like this before, but the church has been here before, right? And what we know when we look um, deep into the history of our community, and by that, I don't just mean our local community, but our our deep and wide church community, the church has been here before. And that in these moments, um, it's a moment for um, growth and flourishing. And I don't say that to make light of what's happening right now because, because I don't at all. And I, I know that already, you know, even if in America we haven't right now seen a lot of people get sick and die, although we've already seen too many people get sick and die. But in North Carolina, most of us, it's still pretty theoretical for most of us in North Carolina. Um, but, um, already we've seen people lose their jobs. Like already we've seen people in our community say, I don't know how I'm going to get my medicine or I can't find, you know, this thing that I need for my kids. And and that's um, just a, a real hardship and really disorienting. Um, and so already this is really hard and in no way am I dismissing that. But I think um, it's to say, we, we don't have a choice of whether or not we are going to experience this. And so there's, um, there's a way it gives me, um, 
great comfort to know that in the midst of so much that I can't control, I have an opportunity to do the thing that really is most important to me, which is um, to follow Jesus and to be used by the Lord to witness to the values of the kingdom of God. And in the midst of everything I can't control, it's, it is deeply, um, it's just powerful to me to know that no matter what happens, um, I will always have the ability to witness um, to the values of the kingdom in the midst of the chaos. And um, that, I mean, that brings me, I don't, I don't even know what label to put on that. I'm not happy about what's happening, um, but I do, it makes me feel like it won't all be for nothing. It won't all be wasted. That's good. So, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Uh, so what else are you thinking about? I'm not thinking about anything else but this crisis. Um, actually, that that's not true. Uh, you know, I'm having a um, great opportunity. And my little one we just walked into the room. I was going to say, we should just own this, that like I'm sitting out on the porch trying to be far away from my kids and <sighs> maybe can hear birds like your son, Matthew, is coming in. And the reality is everybody right now who's listening probably has kids and family around. And so, and I do think like this is just worth talking about right now in a, um, a lot of workspaces, people are being told to work from home, but work the same, like work from home, but um, figure out a way to have the same amount of productivity and the same amount of excellence that you normally do. And yeah, so one, not the same. Well, I know. And the reality is like the one place we ought to be able to re be real in the church about saying, hey, things are different is is in the body of Christ. So like in the next couple of weeks, if you don't want to hear a podcast that gets interrupted by the voices of children, like you're going to need to press pause on this one because <laughs> yeah. there are going to be times when we're going to hear Matthew's voice. We're going to hear Carrie's voice. We're going to pause it and come back. And like, that's really, really okay. And one way that we can just model that for members of our community who are maybe um, trying to interface with institutions that haven't learned, um, you know, that it's okay to and I have, give you I have to confess, I have to confess, this disruption has been nice in terms of spending so much time with my family. Um, yeah. Uh, my wife, Han, said to me just yesterday, boy, it's been great, like, seeing you all day long. You know, I feel like we we have this routine uh, where we get up, we get ready to go, we go to work, we come home, and immediately it's dinner, homework, bath time, bedtime, and you do that, you know, for five days in a row, and then try to catch your breath on the weekends, and then do it all over again, and this disruption um, keeps us close and, um, it's been, it's been nice. Yeah. And I think it's important, um, to model for people that to, to name and give yourself permission to enjoy what is good about this disruption isn't the same as minimalizing, minimizing, Absolutely. Or but it is okay to say, you know, both and, and I, um, have been the weird thing is somehow I have found a lot more time to do some writing that I normally don't do and just forcing myself to do that because I can't connect in other ways. And so um, I just put up a piece today on our church blog about how I'm managing my anxiety and what kinds of um, teaching I find not helpful and, and what is helpful. And um, so 
is just what I've learned from being in therapy about really cultivating a both and mindset and being able to say, I, I can feel the pain and name the pain and name the fear of not being able to control. And at the same time, I can say there are some good things and they don't cancel each other out. They just coexist. And um, it's not, it doesn't mean we don't care about people who are hurting if we find some moments of joy in, in the midst of, and that doesn't make us unloving. I think it really um, is our moments of healing and moments of deepening of our spirits so that we have more capacity um, to care and hold space for people when we get that opportunity. So um, yeah, one, so yeah. Of the things, one of the things that's crossed my mind over the past couple of days as I've been home with family is that uh, you can watch too much 24-hour news. Oh, yeah. One of the things I would advise people to do during this time is to stay informed, but turn off the news. Don't watch it all day long because that will simply feed, at least for me, I guess I need to own this, it will feed anxiety. Right. Well, that's what I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was saying in this piece is, you know, notice what your response to and if the response to the anxiety is to go try find more information about what's happening and information, I mean, it is changing very rapidly, but not hour by hour. And if, if your response to anxiety is to go read more speculation, that is just going to fuel your anxiety. And so it's really, you can give yourself permission to say, I am going to spend some time reading first thing in the morning and maybe last thing at night. And then there's a certain strange piece that comes from accepting your powerlessness. So the people who are managing this crisis at the local state and national level, they maybe do need to constantly be looking at a live stream of information. But I, I, I don't need access to that much information in real time. And so I can limit what I am inputting. And in fact, I need to limit what I'm inputting so that I can be centered in the work and the gifts that I can offer um, to people in my sphere of influence in this time. And so I think that's really, um, that's really helpful. So, and if something dramatically shifts, I mean, we're so interconnected that we will hear about instantly, instant. I mean, but instantly, like if something were to happen, somebody is going to text us, call us, um, instant message us. So that, that will happen. Yeah, it was interesting. It was nice, not just interesting. It was nice. Uh, yesterday, uh, Matthew and I went outside to play a little soccer, a little little baseball, and it seemed all of our neighbors were out walking with their mm-hmm. children, walking with their spouses, um, much more than usual. Um, you see people sitting out on the front porch. Um, there's this sense of, at least in our neighborhood, um, Gosh, we're in this together. Let's let's um, let's not stay cooped up in the house, afraid. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's get out. Let's greet one another, keeping our distance, of course. Uh, but um, yeah, it was it was nice. And I think like the the part of my mind and a lot of part of a lot of people's minds, when you hear something like that and you instantly start catastrophizing, um, and you you say like, well, it's not like that everywhere, or that might change in a couple of days, and you can go like, well, yes. 
it isn't like that everywhere. And I do care for the people who don't have that ability and it might change in a few days and I can't control that. But right here, right now, I, if you are okay, notice that you're okay. Enjoy seeing your neighbors notice that it just is good to look around and see that there are other people. And I think, and this has been said in lots of places, but I mean, I do think it's really worth noting just how beautiful it is that in this moment, so many people are really sacrificing Mm. for the sake of their neighbor, for the sake of the community. And that's, I mean, I, I just really think it's important not to skip over that as if it has no significance because so often you know people wring their hands about the state of society and I mean it's it's amazing to me that you know I have people I care deeply about who have who have lost their jobs and while they're worried they're not mad I mean they're not questioning why this has to happen and that to me is just an extraordinary um extraordinary amount of um love and compassion. Um, and that, you know, for all of the, the conversation we have and rightly so about how divided the country is and how antagonistic it is, it's really just beautiful to see that, to see that happen. So I'm, again, right now I'm seeing that and that could change. Um, and that would be bad, but right now, (laughs) um, it's, I take a lot of comfort in, um, the kinds of sacrificial love people are showing for neighbors and strangers and people they will never, ever know. So, um, so what is your plan for this Sunday? You all are not live streaming, but you're going to record some kind of message. Is that the plan? I think so. Yeah. I'll do some kind of, um, devotional message. I've been thinking about, um, that place in Philippians where Paul says, be anxious for nothing and, uh, just remind people that, um, uh, there is great, real, deep peace given to us through the Holy Spirit when we pray. And so let's let's take that word in the scriptures very seriously to be anxious for nothing, uh, but by prayer and supplication. And then Paul adds with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, um, make your requests known to God. Yeah. Yes. And we've been talking in our house about thanksgiving and uh, just, gosh, before we started to record this podcast, my wife said, you know what? It's really busy right now. I'm overwhelmed with work, but I have work. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. And so we, we've just been focused on gratitude here. You know, we're overwhelmed with trying to be our child's part-time teachers um, and don't really feel like we're doing a very good job, but we're grateful that he is well and he's energetic and mm-hmm. um, he's a six-year-old boy and doing what six-year-old boys do and, you know, trying to roll trucks down the stairs. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're filled with gratitude and that's really powerful. So I'm going to focus on that uh, in, a, in a short video. And my little one has um, created his own little public service announcement about washing hands. And so I will send that out (laughs) uh, to our congregation as well. And hopefully it'll make them smile. Well, and the other piece of scripture that I'm finding really um, powerful for me right now, um, and this past week we were preaching on greed and smashing the idol of greed. So that's really interesting as people were, you know, beginning to respond to, you know, hoarding behavior and, um, 
But so that was in Luke 12. And then right after the parable of the bigger barns, which was the main text, um, I was in you and I had talked before about how whenever we preach against something and our series is on smashing idols. So you're preaching against the idol of greed, but, but we can't be people who just say what we're against. We have to do the more difficult, but, but the ultimately life-giving work of saying what we're for. And so you know, the answer of what we're for comes right after that passage against greed is that is where Jesus moves straight into, um, you know, the, the teaching about, um, do not worry about tomorrow. And, you know, your father knows what you need and, and he will provide it and consider the grass of the field and Solomon in his glory wasn't arrayed. And, you know, the ravens, which are an unclean bird, like they don't have storehouses and yet God cares for them and you matter more to God. And just that, I think that place of being able to say, Hey, um, Jesus says, you know, do not worry about tomorrow because you don't have the power to change tomorrow. And I think sometimes worrying feels like love. It feels like, well, if I can't fix it, then the way I can love someone is to worry about them. And I mean, I get that. I mean, we need to care about the people that we want to protect and we need to, um, you know, have, um, take precautions based on, um, you know, a prediction of what might happen if we don't. So, so, there's there's some part of it's not hakuna matata but to say don't worry about tomorrow and to accept your powerlessness i mean that is not only something that we are allowed to do it is something that jesus commanded us to do and there's some real wisdom in that that i think most of the time when we're running around in the illusion that we can control things if we just try harder, work harder, lose five pounds, you know, make our next project a little bit better. Worrying seems like what we need to do in order to perform better and to earn better and receive better. And what we learn in this moment is a, is a real, you know, crash course in you are not in charge. I'm not in charge. Worrying has never been helpful, but the illusion that it's helpful is really stripped away. And so I just would really want to encourage people um, to receive that teaching, you know, not as something to beat yourself up about, like, oh, I'm worrying, so I'm bad and I'm guilty, but to say as a gift, like, what would it look like if I was wise, if I was a good steward, if I were caring, but I didn't worry? And can I just experiment with that? And your passage um, from Philippians, I think is great when people read that and they're like, be anxious for nothing. Like that's fine on a coffee mug, but how do I do that? And to say like, well, like the only way you can grow in that is if you try it. So literally it's a prescription. It's not an evaluation of Jesus saying like the people who are not anxious and who give, like those are my favorites, but it's to say, with prayer and thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and then watch how the Spirit brings you new life. But I mean, it's you have to walk in it before you can begin to experience the wisdom of it. And you have to walk in the not worrying before you can begin to experience the fruitfulness of that. And again, just like you can't begin to live stream your church service and have perfect production value week one, like you're, you're going to have to have right expectations about growing in the growing in these areas. And so if you just give yourself permission to be not very good at it, but also recognizing that the gospel doesn't work because we work it, the gospel works because it works. And so, and this is just when everything that usually works to 
numb or to give us the illusion of control when all those things start to get taken away from us. The gift is that we have an opportunity to begin to try some things that frankly, we weren't desperate enough to try previously. And so. Yeah. In our community, I'm seeing people um, swing emotionally from uh, in the beginning when we first started to talk about this crisis and I engaged people in conversation around it. There was this, um, well, it was kind of a a facade of, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. Mm -hmm. And they would give me these speeches about how they're not afraid. And they would quote some scriptures and like, why, why are you even asking me about this preacher? Are you afraid? Are you, have you lost your faith? I'm totally not afraid. And now some of these same people are saying, Hey, I'm afraid. Right. Um, and so um, that's that's why I want to land in that Philippians um, uh, Be- text. Yeah, because so much of this crappy conversation that I see going on, bad theology conversation about like faith over fear, is basically it's the prosperity gospel, health and wealth gospel run amok. And people are saying like, well, if you're afraid, you'll get sick. But if you have faith, then you won't. And I mean, people need to read the actual gospel. Like Paul and the apostles and Jesus, they were not afraid. But one of the reasons they were not afraid is because they had surrendered themselves to the reality that they were going to lay down their life for the sake of God to pick it up for them again. And so the reason they weren't afraid isn't because they had some naive expectation that nothing bad would happen to them. It was that they had accepted the fact that this was a broken, fallen world that caused real injustice and suffering and they were willing to put themselves in between that and people for the sake of the gospel um they weren't thinking that their relationship with Jesus gave them some sort of spiritual bulletproof vest that would protect them from anything and that's what our people have got to understand is we're not saying do whatever you want i mean like we just read the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert when to the top of the pinnacle and says, jump down because God will command his angels. You know, scripture says you won't let your foot be dashed against a rock. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's not what that means. And so the reality is we walk fearlessly because we accept that suffering and death happen to all people and the gospel tells us that there is a next chapter, there is a new day, that there's life and redemption in the midst of that, not by avoiding that. Mm-hmm. And that's just what what people, a lot of, and it's interesting, and I'll shut up, I will shut up eventually, but it, I was talking to a friend of mine and she was saying, my, my friend who was white, who was married to a black man, and she was saying there's just a huge difference in her observation of how people of color and white people respond to this crisis because so many white people just respond in total denial that things could be this bad, that, you know, oh, it'll be okay, you know, the government will fix everything. And people of color are just, there's less trust for the government. I wonder why. And there's more awareness that like, this might really get bad. And also, this is how I choose to live in the midst of that, you know, I take some time to be where I am and and to find joy and to, um, you know, because people of color have been living in reality like this for a long time and white people have been living in the illusion, some of us, 
that the world is fair and everything will work out for us if we just work hard and plan right. And so, you know, it's just more disorienting for a lot of privileged white people than it is for people of color who have been forced to um, let go of, I mean, and they were never true. I mean, an illusion yeah. is not the truth by definition, yeah. but you know, those illusions can be really comforting to us, but they're a shallow comfort and they don't really sustain us when we need it the most. And so- Well, I'm glad you brought up um, false thinking, illusions. Uh, a while ago, you said something about false theology. And one of my big concerns is for, you know, the senior citizen who is home alone, watching television and, you know, there's someone on television that I could name the name and everyone would know this person who is selling uh, some, something on their show that they're saying is a cure for the coronavirus. Is it Jim Baker or Pat Robertson? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you got it. It's, it's Baker. As a matter of fact, the- I haven't uh, seen it, but I just, I, oh, man. I think it's the, I think the uh, governor of New York or the attorney general of New York State said, hey, you got to cut it out. Um, but I'm also concerned because there are so many voices saying, stating that they know why we're in this crisis, that God is doing this or that thing. Some are saying, you know, God is punishing this group of people, or God is um, making room for um, um, revival to happen. Or, uh, you know, one person I read said, this is, this is just from the devil for the sole purpose of stopping the president's reelection. And there's just so much uh, craziness out there in terms of people's theories about the why and what God is doing. And I started um, asking myself, well, what, what do I think God is doing in the midst of this or, or why is this happening? And one of the things uh, that I'm concluding is that there, there is, there's, there's some, not some, there's a great deal of mystery here. And I may not understand uh, until this gets in the rearview mirror a bit. I may not have clarity. uh, I may have clarity only in retrospect or never at all. Um, But I'm very concerned about the misinformation, the bad theology, the illusions that are out there. And I think it's really important for people to be able to understand that to say that God will redeem something or God will use something is different than saying that God caused something. And Mm -hmm, that's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's just a really important distinction. And, and certainly if you read um, passages of the Hebrew Bible, um, it is not totally without merit. I mean, there are times when the perspective of scripture is that people were disobedient and so God punished them with a particular illness. That is, I mean, that's a strain that is in scripture. So, I mean, I don't want to shame anybody for asking those questions. Certainly um, not. But I think, you know, for me, my theology which is not scripture, which is not, I mean, it's just how I read scripture and how, how I understand God based on my reading of scripture and my personal relationship with the Lord through the Holy Spirit is, 
you know, I think that God does not cause diseases. God does not cause disasters. God certainly does not, you know, cause the sinfulness of humanity, uh, you know, against other humans. Um, that's just not, I don't think that is who God is. I think those are all, um, those are all um, results of the initial fall of humanity, however, however you want to understand that. And so what I do think is that God makes us really extraordinary, almost offensively good promises about meeting us in the midst of tragedy and sorrow and loss and bringing goodness out of it. And, and that's the, the main reason that's where I hang my theological hat is because that's how I understand the cross. God was not up there nailing Jesus to the cross. God didn't do that. Um, you know, broken humanity and our spiritual enemy, um, Satan, did that. God didn't do it. God used it um, and to to bring about salvation and to break the power of the curse and to give overcome death and take away its sin and give us a path um, for um, to to uh, redeem sin and experience forgiveness and transformation. So I, I think that that's just really important to be to say that as a community of faith, we can look for and even expect God to bring goodness um, out of this and through this and redeem pain. But that doesn't mean that we have to believe that God caused it or is using it as a weapon against any individual person or group of people. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And so that's just a really important um, point. That I well, think I, I just think that there's much more um, mystery I, as, yeah. as far as God's involvement, God's hand in it. Um, I, when it comes to the death of Jesus, I, yeah, the scripture says it was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So in some sense, God planned that to happen. Um, and I, I do think that there is just mystery that ought to make us uncomfortable. And where I hang my theological hat is being, being okay with the mystery, being okay yeah. with the not knowing, being okay yeah. with the, I don't have exact clarity on this yet. I do well, know that God is good. I do right. know that God loves. I do know that grace and mercy abound. But I also know that God sends calamity. That that God uh, there there is uh, there there is wrath. And how um, when when to point to that and say that's what this is. I think there's just a lot more mystery there that I'm okay well, I definitely with think not knowing. Any any God that we can understand is an idol that we've created. And so sure. when the psalmist declares sure. that God's ways are not our ways and above us, I mean, I think we need to really accept that and know that. And I think, I mean, it's good for us to model that. I mean, you and I, A, neither one of us has faith in our understanding or in our theology. We have faith in Jesus. And so Absolutely. you and I have a... De- I mean, we have, uh, I mean, I think there's lots of overlap in our understanding of the cross and salvation, but I mean, we, you know, you're much more of a substitutionary atonement person than I am, you know, and I would say, I do think it was God's plan. I think it was God's plan to intervene um, and interpose his 
precious blood as it, as it goes um, between us and the power of sin and death. And, but, and, but I mean, ultimately it doesn't matter because what we believe in is not our understanding. What we believe in is the event of the crucifixion and the resurrection and what that teaches us about how we can have hope and how we can live in times of great um, disaster and suffering. And, yeah. well, um, and even, when you see, even when you see disaster and suffering in the Old Testament, when you see wrath in the Old Testament, in it, through it, <laughs> underneath it, God was saying, return to me. Correct. <laughs> Let me be gracious to you. Correct. Let me be good to you. Turn to me. Well, I want to bless you. And I think the reality is, like, sometimes wrath depends on, you, you know, what you experience as wrath depends on what your position in the social, what your social location is, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's an open question to me, like the exile I mean, in all kinds of disruptions, times of disruptions, the most vulnerable people are often hurt the most. But also, you know, sometimes God's wrath is poured out against people who are oppressing and causing the suffering of vulnerable people. And so it feels like wrath to some people and it feels like deliverance to others, right? Like it felt like wrath to the Egyptians who suffered the 10th plague, but that wrath was salvation to the Israelites who got to leave with their babies, you know, so that's, um, just an important thing when we talk about the mystery and I don't, I mean, and that's a mysterious story for me because I think of, you know, the suffering of powerless people in who happen to be ethnically Egyptian in that culture. I mean, you know, so, I mean, there's mystery and we ought to have lots of, we ought to be uncomfortable dismissing people's pain and, um, and suffering. Like that's one thing that loving Jesus ought to ought to teach us because the people who nailed Jesus to the cross just were very comfortable with the suffering. They dismissed it. They didn't think it mattered. And so we, that's one thing we ought to learn. So, yeah, that's good. uh, So we, we have not been kicked off zoom, but we probably need to um, wrap up this conversation. We hope this works, right? Um, (laughs) Yes. I hope this recording works. This is an experiment. And so, uh, you know, and we will hopefully get better and better, but, um, last words for this particular podcast? Well, I would encourage everyone to um, stay, stay encouraged, stay in faith, stay safe. We'll get through this. Um, I'm sitting at my desk, home office, looking out the window. The sun is shining brightly. Um, It just feels hopeful. Um, to me in the midst of this crisis. And um, that's that's where I want to remain. Yeah, we sing a song often um, as one of our closing songs at the Grove called, it's called Cherry Blossoms, but the, um, the, the major refrain is, um, in winter, I believe you, in I see you, it's so good to be with you. My hope has come, singing about Jesus. And just this idea that, you know, there are winter seasons in our lives when we believe that new life will come again. And then there are spring seasons in our life where we see the new life all around us. And so I think even though the season around us here in North Carolina is spring, for many of us, it feels like winter. It feels like, I wonder if life will ever be good again. I wonder if things will ever feel normal again. And I think, you know, it is, um, I'm not, what's that hymn that everybody loves that I hate? (laughs) That really does not narrow it down. But, um, how great thou art. Isn't how great they are. It talks about like, 
you know, walking through the mountains and seeing God and that, no, no, that no, right? No, no, you're, you're thinking of, um, oh, this oh, is wait, my no, story. No. In, uh, um, went through the woods and forest glades. Forest I wander. Glades, I wander. That's right. Anyway, whatever. I, you'll never catch me. Forest that's a great hymn. We're going to have to talk. That's a I great hymn. Every, everyone loves that hymn except for me. But I mean, the point of the hymn is, you know, lots of people find, um, find confirmation and encouragement um, and find a window into the soul and goodness and beauty of God in nature, right? They see nature and in the beauty of that, they see the grandeur of God. Personally, I'm not that person, but um, I get that that's how it works for a lot of people. And I think it's helpful to say as, you know, as your anxiety and fear and pain are real, but also look at the world out your window and see life bursting all around us and see that, you know, three weeks ago that didn't look possible and yet here it is. And so there are just things that don't feel like they'll ever come back again and things that don't look like they'll ever come back again. And the reality is, um, I read a, I think a Maya Angelou quote this morning, we said, like, and that's just important for us to realize that. Wait, would, um, you, would you repeat that? I think our internet did a little blip. I'm not sure if I got all of that. Um, Maya Angelou, a reporter, I think it's Maya Angelou, some a reporter was talking about interviewing her. I don't even know if this is a true story, but it's a great quote. Um, and she said to the reporter, write this down in your notebook. Every storm runs out of rain. Oh, and it, I, I don't care who said it. It's, it's good. And it's good for us to hold on to right now. And the truth is, in a few weeks, Resurrection Sunday will be here. We will well, celebrate Easter, and correct. so that's that's important. And whether we are doing it in person or doing it online, um, every Sunday is an Easter for us, yeah. and so um, it's going to all is well, all is well, all is well. And one way or another, we will all be together again and rejoicing. So I have hope in that. Everybody should check out. Um, Yolando's messages. You can look on the Podbean web and look for Derida Church and you can um, encourage yourself with his really fantastic preaching. And you can learn more about Derida Church by Googling Derida Church Charlotte. And if you want to hear some messages at The Grove, um, you can go to iTunes and search for The Grove Charlotte podcast and you can hear all of our messages. Um, and if you want to check out the church, you can go to our website, thegrovecharlotte.org, um, and you can find a blog and a link to our Facebook page where there's some live streams of the service. There's some good blog posts and resources. Um, and so we would just um, love to welcome anybody into the community. I know both of us either um, not in person right now, but you can connect to us virtually. You know, when we're apart in the body, we're together in the spirit. And I'm so grateful that we have the technology to really manifest that in powerful ways right now. So um, thanks for listening. And one way or another, um, we will put a podcast out next week. 